0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Clones, it is great to have you back for the Daily Jungle. What's up? Hope you had an excellent fourth and you're back to the grind. Now, the NBA offseason, that just keeps right on rolling. Gordon Hayward jumped ship to Boston. Jazz fan was salty. Wait till you hear these savages. We also had three excellent guests. Astros outfielder and all-star George Springer. PGA Tour golfer Kyle Stanley coming off that win at the Quicken Loans National and Chris Mannix who brought it like he always does to break down the start of free agency. Alvy, it is all you. Let me start with the NBA. Two straight years, two big free agent announcements on July 4th. Of course, last year it was Kevin Durant to Golden State. Yesterday, Gordon Hayward to the Celtics. Safe to say that the sequel was not as shocking as the original. First, first, Hayward is an excellent player, but he's not Kevin Durant. Secondly, he's not joining a team that had been to two straight finals. And it's not like it exactly came out of left field either. Chris Haynes jumped the route and broke the story, and by the looks of it, might have broken it before Hayward broke it to the Utah Jazz. Uh Uh-oh! Uh-oh! That's not ideal. So they waited a little longer, allegedly wrestled with the decision some more, And then roughly six hours later, dropped the official news on the Players' Tribune. For all the talk about him wrestling with that decision all day yesterday, he somehow managed to drop a 2,000-word essay like a complete boss. That's every procrastinator's dream. I mean, either my man had already put that piece in the can and had made up his mind, or dude is freaking F. Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway combined. Because you ask him... He just sat down and banged that piece out on a moment's notice. Now, just because the rollout was not ideal, it doesn't mean that it's not a big move, because it is. The team with the best regular season record in the East just added an all-star who put up career highs in points, rebounds, and showed up big in the playoffs. And they did it without having to give up any of their most valuable assets. In other words, Danny Ainge and the Celtics continue to simultaneously compete and rebuild at the exact same time. And for Ainge, landing Hayward is a shot in the arm. In fact, he had to have it. Ainge had to have that. He was starting to hear some questions about whether or not he'd be able to land a big-time player after striking out in the trade market. So now Hayward is going to be reunited with Brad Stevens, and while he doesn't make them the favorite in the East, that's still Cleveland, it does make them the favorite for when Cleveland takes a step back, which could be any second now, especially with the way things are going in the land. While the Celtics added Hayward, the Cavs countered with Jose Calderon. And LeBron reportedly is not going to help the team recruit anybody as he has in the past. Then again, it's not like he has much to offer. Exactly what is LeBron going to say? He doesn't have much to offer other than the chance to get punched in the face by the Warriors again. They mortgaged a good part of their future to get that one ring, and now they've got next to nothing offer to offer any potential free agents at least free agents who actually matter because Calderon pretty much doesn't. Now, back to the Jazz for a minute. Jazz fan raged. Well, as much as Jazz fan can rage when this became official. I mean, check out the venom from these fans who were looking to burn Hayward's jersey. He's burning
1: it. What's happening, y'all. It's Burning it it's
0: happening.
2: It's Going like crazy so get rid of it. No. Woo! Oh, Goodbye, bye. Gordon. It was fun while it lasted. Thanks for betraying us. Thanks for have betraying fun being us. LeBron's little B-word.
1: Yep, you're
2: going to be LeBron's bitch. Bye. Nice day. See fun. ya. Go have fun with your leprechaun. The execution.
0: Pure, unadulterated emotion and rage. Straight fire. Absolute savage. Dropping a B-word blast. Hey, Jazz fans, settle down. Honestly, that whole thing seems so fake. So fake, starting with the fact that they were burning the jersey in a fire pit. Who does that? There's nothing more played out than burning a guy's jersey when he leaves in free agency. You're burning an article of your clothing that you paid for... Because somebody else decided to change companies. The only thing lamer than that is burning something and vandalizing your own city when your team wins it all. It is so whack. It's so tired. And you can tell the Jazz fans' heart wasn't even in it, nor should it be. It's almost like they were doing it just because they felt like that's what they were supposed to do. But deep down, you know this guy's not a traitor. You know he didn't betray you. He's a really good player and by all accounts, a good dude. It's not like he stiffed you. He practically spent that entire essay that he may or may not have written about a week ago apologizing for leaving. This guy owes you nothing. The only thing he owed you was to go all in and do whatever he could to make himself a better player and the Jazz a better franchise, and that's exactly what he did. And the fact is, there's no one to blame here. There is no one to blame. He earned the right to leave, and he did. And the team probably could not have done anything more than it did to try to keep him. They took their best shot and they came up just short. Yeah, I know, Jazz fan. You really wanted this guy to be a John Stockton and spend his whole career with the Jazz. But you shouldn't be bent that he didn't because Stockton essentially is the only guy who did. Hell, even Karl Malone bounced to chase a ring. So stop burning this guy's gear and saying that he betrayed you because he didn't. No, I'm not saying it doesn't suck for you because it does. He's a franchise-caliber player. They built everything around him and pretty much ran that offense through him. And you were a 51-win team and a division champion that was built in a really cool way. You did it the right way. And now he's gone, and now that's over. But they're not going to just fall apart. They don't have to start all over. It's a smart organization with a really good head coach and Quinn Snyder, and they've got some good young talent. And you can't blame this guy for leaving. Last thought here, bottom line. Reaching the finals in the West is borderline impossible. Reaching it in the East is a hell of a lot easier. Every other good player is either moving West or staying in the West. The Eastern Conference All-Star team is going to be LeBron, Kyrie, Hayward, John Wall, and a cardboard cutout of Tree Rollins. Smart move for Hayward, smart move for the Celtics. I wouldn't have cracked him for staying, but I'm not going to smash him for leaving. And if you're being really honest with yourself, Jazz fan, you knew this day was coming. And if you were in his shoes, you'd probably do the exact same thing. So go back to more of your fake burnings. Come on, Jazz fan. Burning. In a fire pit, no less. Why not just do that in your living room, under your mantle? Little B-word. You little B-word. B-word. Go enjoy being LeBron's little B-word. Oh, ho, ho, roasted. Chris Mannix is my guest. He's back in the jungle. Chris, what's going on? Good to have you back. How are you today? Good to be here, Jim. Doing well. How's the quality of your life right now?
2: Uh, well, it'll get better in the next couple of days now that the dust is settling. But as always, I I enjoy myself.
0: Good man, always. All right, so Danny Ainge got his guy, Chris and Gordon Hayward. You made the point that the Celtics were interested in Paul George and Jimmy Butler, but the guy they really wanted was Hayward. What is it about him that sets him apart from George and Butler for the Celtics?
2: You know, I think they like both, you know, all three of those players on some level, Jim. But, you know, over the last couple of months, when when I was around Boston people and, and the conversation turned to off-season priorities, it, it was always centered around Gordon Hayward. And they just felt that the familiarity with Brad Stevens, what Brad could unlock further with him was big. The fact that he's a very good shooter, the fact that he is a a, a well-rounded offensive player who I think is going to get a lot of run as a low post player uh, in Boston in, in their kind of create mismatch Uh, sort of schemes they just believed that that Hayward was the guy and as much as they would have loved to get their hands on a whole bunch of players this summer uh, but just by getting Gordon Hayward I can tell you they view this offseason as unqualified success.
0: Chris Mannix joining us now Hayward spent most of the Players Tribune piece listing all the reasons why he liked Utah the memories he has of his time there and he did not spend a lot of time explaining why he was going to Boston so if you had to guess why do you think he chose Boston?
2: Well, I think it's pretty simple, Jim, and I don't know that there's, there's a lot of layers to it. Um, I think the obvious uh, example is that they're equipped to win, and knowing what Boston's pitch was going to be, which was going to be on a few layers, was going to be that you're, you can win here. We're a 53-win team. We add you to the mix as our small forward on the outside. We can get to 60 wins, we think, pretty easily, and we can compete right away. Uh, with Cleveland, uh, I think that was a huge factor. And Brad Stevens, as he mentioned repeatedly in that piece, you know the the relationship between Brad Stevens and Gordon Hayward, I felt for months and months now, was going to be an overriding factor in all this. When you have a guy that recruited Hayward, who was not a a huge star coming into the college ranks, that got Hayward to Butler, that developed him into a top-ten draft pick, that bond was ironclad. And I knew that Brad Stevens, or I felt anyway, That Brad Stevens in a room with him was going to be hugely influential and it was and I know people in Utah are upset and they should be it's it's a body blow for the Jazz no question but you have to look at it from Hayward's perspective he's 27 he's basically just signing a three-year deal whether it was the Jazz or the Celtics he's most likely to opt out after three years because of financial reasons so he's looking at the next three years he's seeing the Western Conference become an arms race he's seeing George Hill go somewhere else it just it just all sort of lined up for the self that I think made it a a tough but easier decision.
0: Clones, give me one second so I can talk to you about Ferguson. Ferguson helps facilities pros by supplying innovative and reliable products, but what Ferguson really offers are solutions. Ferguson has a dedicated team of facilities experts and with nationwide coverage, we deliver directly to your facility right when you need them. Plus, Ferguson's broad inventory of maintenance, repair, and operations products, along with plumbing, HVAC, and appliances, sets Ferguson apart from traditional facility suppliers. So learn more about how Ferguson Facility Supply can help your facility at ferguson.com today. That's Ferguson I'm talking about. Now it's back to the Daily Jungle. Chris Mannix is a senior writer for Yahoo Sports, also the vertical, and an NBA analyst for CSN New England. Chris mentioned that the Celtics already consider this offseason a success, but when you look at them this way, they've got a core of Thomas, Hayward, and Al Horford, plus some potential in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Then they've got a handful of first-round picks that Danny Ainge still has in the next three drafts. So, do you think that they're done making moves, or could you see Ainge making another move or two?
2: No, I don't think they're done. Um, I, I do think they're going to be judicious over the next year. Now, they're, they're playing a win next season, no question, but I don't think they're going to go out and blow their capital uh, on somebody, say, over 30 that um, doesn't fit into their long-term plans. Now, they were trying to get Christoph Porzingis for obvious reasons. He's a good player now at a 21. He could be a great player down the line, but I think they're going to be very cautious over the next you know uh, eight or nine months with what they do, because they they know there's a possibility, maybe even a likelihood at this point, that LeBron James bolts Cleveland after next season. And if that happens, depending on where he goes, Boston is as well-positioned as any team in the conference to take it over and to be that consensus favorite to come out of it. So they know that the pieces they have there are are still probably a year or two away from being true contributors uh, to a playoff-caliber team, but they'll spend their time you know, winning their 55-plus games Developing Tatum and Brown, and looking out there for some kind of uh, some kind of possibility. Now, I, I wrote today, Jim, that if Memphis gets a little itchy to trade Paul Gasol or Marcus I think Boston could be in line and could make a decent offer to go and get him. But they're not going to empty the vault uh, to go get a, a Marcus not at 32 years old and with that contract. So I think Boston's on the lookout. They'll make a deal. But I think now this has given them an opportunity to be a little more patient than they would have been.
0: All right. I saw that note. I was going to ask you about Gasol. But you just answered that, Chris. Go back to the Cavaliers for a minute. Chauncey Billups withdraws his name from consideration for the Cavaliers job. What do you make of that and then exactly what is happening with the Cavaliers right now? Honestly,
2: Jim, I, I think I make of it that it, the Cavaliers job is not a great job right now. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in that situation. We don't know what LeBron's going to do and even if he stays. It's not like the general manager or president has the flexibility uh, to make any significant moves. I mean, David Griffin was was hamstrung by by salaries. I mean, it, he could make a, a a small move for a Kyle Corver or you know sign these bargain basement guys who get bought out before March 1st. But in terms of making some kind of sweeping move, it just it just isn't there. Now they thought they might be able to pull off a Kevin Love trade, but. You know, that never materialized. And unless they can find a taker for love that can give them something back that they deem will make them better against Golden State in the finals, there's not a lot you can do. So I think Chauncey looked at the situation. And, she, you know, here's the thing that Chauncey knows. Basically, whatever Chauncey Bills wants to do, he's going to be able to do. There are teams out there that would love to get their hands on him as an assistant coach. There's clearly at least one team and probably more that would like to add him to the front office. Chauncey is not looking at this saying, I've got to take this job – or else I'm screwed. He's still a young guy with a lot of options, so he can be patient and wait for a great opportunity, and Cleveland right now just isn't that opportunity.
0: Oh, hey, hey. Boston, L.A., Cleveland, right? There were a lot of places that Paul George was supposed to end up, but the one place he did, Oklahoma City. Nobody saw that coming. Not even Thunder players. Take Josh Hustis. quote, I was in my hotel room. I got a text from... Damanis Sabonis, they told me it happened. Literally, nobody had any idea that that was even on the table or an option, end quote. So not only did none of us know, the guys that he plays with didn't know. I mean, just to be clear, just found out because one of the guys who was in the trade texted him about that trade. And that's because Thunder GM Sam Presti is a ninja. He works, he waits, then he makes his move. And now he pairs Paul George and Russell Westbrook for a year. Hey, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I just know that I need to see it. You've turned a one-man team into a two-man team. Given your team a chance to make some noise and reach the conference finals. And you sent the message to Westbrook that you are willing to do what it takes to win. Which is a key for when he's a free agent next summer. And who knows? I mean, it sounds like a major reach, but maybe... Maybe George has enough chemistry with Westbrook and enough fun in OKC that he decides not to leave for the Lakers next summer. Hey, look, I know it sounds far-fetched. It sounds like a major reach. Who knows? And maybe it doesn't happen like that. But at least you gave yourself a shot. At least you put yourself in the game. At least you didn't just roll over and die. At least you took a big swing. From that standpoint, I love it. Love it. But as good as Presti is, As much of a magician-ninja hybrid as this guy is, you know, to get somebody like that, even to rent him for a year, you had to give up a hell of a lot to get him, right? Uh, Wrong. He gave up Victor Oladipo and Sabonis. I mean, what else, right? Is that it? I keep waiting for that trade to get bigger the way that Chris Paul trade kept getting bigger when they kept adding on players. But it hasn't. There aren't any more pieces. That's the trade. That's it. Pacers president of basketball ops, Kevin Pritchard, traded away Paul George and got a couple of guys who are younger who also happen to play the sport of basketball. I mean, that's about it. That's essentially all there is. That's the best that I can say about that deal for the Pacers. Sabonis is a pretty nice player with some upside. Oladipo is a pretty nice player with a big contract that Presti was probably happy to get rid of. So there really is no risk for Presti. Even if Paul George bounces for the Lakers after one year, they still have more flexibility because they dumped Oladipo's contract. So it's a win. In the meantime, they've got a year to rent this guy, let this guy try it on for size, and try and talk him into staying. And for all that talk, all of Pritchard's talk, about how Paul's intentions to leave were a, quote, gut punch, it seems like the Pacers managed to kick themselves in the junk. I mean, I know it's a tough market for a guy who already said that he wants to go to L.A., and that by doing that, he didn't give that team a whole lot of options. But, I mean, you literally couldn't get any more for that guy than that. You couldn't do any better than Oladipo and Sabanis? What about the rumors involving Kevin Love or assets from Boston? or maybe even putting enough pressure on the Lakers to get something from them. And those reports that the Blazers were willing to give up three first-round picks, plus any of their other big three, makes it even worse. It's almost like the Pacers were looking for the worst deal that they could find, because they pretty much found it. And Presti just ripped a superstar for next to nothing. That's a big swing. That's brass. I love that. I love that they made that deal for him. Even if they only rent him for one year, it's a great message to send Russell Westbrook that we're not going to roll over and die here. We're willing to do what we have to do to win, and you don't need a bounce. So we'll see. But they got him for next to nothing, even if it is for a one-year rental, and they dumped a contract to do it. Where do you come out? 1-800-636-8686. OKC fan, is there any way... You can have this guy for one year, put him alongside Russell Westbrook, and talk him into staying. Any chance at all? And then number two, how do you think that's going to look? Two guys that need the basketball. How do you think that's going to look? How's that going to work? And then, Pacer fan, what do you think? I mean, that's the best you could do for that guy? You'll probably tell me that he didn't do you any favors by saying that he was leaving and going to L.A. I get that. But that's the best that you could do for that guy? Yeah, I know. Hey Rome, I'd rather have Arvidus Sabonis. We are joined by Astros outfielder George Springer. You had that monster game yesterday, George. Let me start right there. You went four for five. You add to your own run total. You score three runs. So what's it like when you're at the plate, when you're that locked in and seeing the ball that clearly? What's that feel like?
3: Uh, it's a good feeling, you know, just to just to know that, that uh you're seeing the ball good that day. But, you know, the 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 crazy part is is uh the guys up behind me were 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 just as as, as locked in, you know. So, so, so I knew if, if I could just get, get to first base, you know, I'm there, there's a good chance that these guys are, are going to drive me in.
0: George Springer joining us. You know, George, the team is 30 games over 500. You've got the best record in baseball. I, mean, I can't believe I just said that, but you're 30 games over 500 already. Your manager AJ Hinch said after last night's win that the way guys are hitting, there really is not a weak spot in the lineup. So, how much fun are you having going to the ballpark as a team right now?
3: Oh, a lot of fun. You know, I mean, I understand um, you know who we are as a team and 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 you know what we're capable of and and are getting contributions from the top all the way to the bottom and 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 you know the the, the best part about our lineup is is you know, if you you could probably put anybody anywhere, and I don't I don't think anybody would question it. You know, you got guys like, you know, Arwen Gonzalez who should be an all stars. You know, hitting 320 with 14 hitting eighth. It's 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 incredible.
0: And then George, they've got you batting leadoff, and you've been primarily in that spot for a while now. At first glance, it wouldn't seem like you'd be the traditional leadoff hitter, and that you've got a lot of power. And normally, managers want to put you later in the lineup. So, how do you approach being a leadoff hitter?
3: Uh, well, I only hit first one time. You know, I understand um, that my first at bat of the game is just as important as as an at bat. You know, in the fifth inning, and 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 there's a guy on first and third. You know, so I just 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 I try to hit the ball hard. But you know, I I, I believe that it's my job to set the tone. So if I can go out, and, you know, hit a ball hard, or or you know, get a hit, or 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 just have a good quality at bat you know hopefully the guys behind me can see it and 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 can follow suit you know i i, I know um who's up behind me with 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 Altuve Correa Reddick Beltron you know all those guys can just flat out hit so if i can start to train for them i'm 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 happy to do it.
0: George Springer is our guest joining us once again. Now last week you broke Craig Biggio's team record for leadoff home runs in a season with 9 knowing what he meant to that franchise, what's it mean to you to hear your name mentioned alongside Biggio's?
3: It's special. You know, um, you know obviously he he's he's been the face of that franchise for forever and and you know he's obviously a Hall of Famer, but he you know he's he he's a a a better person and and, and it's great, you know, to to share something with with uh, a Hall of Famer and and a guy like him.
0: Talking to George Springer, George, you were voted to the All Star Game this year, and that's the first time. So, what does that honor mean to you?
3: Oh, it means everything. You know, thank you to to all the fans who voted. You know, I'm, I'm I'm extremely blessed, extremely humbled. It's 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 an honor. You know, and I I'm, I'm, I I couldn't be happier. You know, as, as a kid, you 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 grow up and, and you watch the game as, as a player. The goal is, is, besides winning the World Series, is you know, to get to, to catch the All-Star game. And, and I'm, I'm just extremely fortunate and, and, and thankful for all the fans who, who, who voted me in there.
0: Now, that's your first shot there. But you were invited to participate in the Home Run Derby last year, but you passed up on that opportunity. And you said, quote, I'm just not a fan of it. I don't like it. I'm not a Home Run Derby guy. I'm not going to do it. You certainly are not the first guy to say that. A lot of guys might do it just for the attention, but I respect the fact that you don't want to participate. What is it about the home run derby that you don't like?
3: You know, I'm just there's really no secret. I'm just not a big fan of it. I don't know. You know, it's 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 not something that that I like to do. It's not something that that I think fits me, and I don't. I don't. I don't think it's going to screw up my swing or approach or anything like that. It's it's, it's it's just I, I'm not a uh, a good BP home run hitter. You know, I I can hit them, but um, I try too hard, and and you know I don't I, I don't want to keep hitting balls at third base in a, in a in a um a home run derby. So I I just I just stay away from it. You know I understand that there's some guys like Aaron Judge who can go out there and and you know hit balls to where, where balls should shouldn't be hit. So I I just uh, just stay away from
0: it. Now you and I have talked about how you've dealt with your stutter in the past. What does it mean to you then to be a role model for kids right now?
3: Um, It's special, you know. um, I've been through exactly what these kids are going through. Um, I've 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 experienced a lot of that stuff, and and, you know, I just try to tell them that that you can't let anything that you can't control stop you from being who you want to be, but you know the, the the thing about it is 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 I can't tell them something that I'm not willing to go through myself so you know I not understand you know I have to put myself out there and 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 speak and and you know i i I want them to hear it um because I am who I am you know I understand that and you know i i i I just want them to understand that one they're not alone and 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 two that that I'm still going through the same stuff that that, that they're going through and they're kind of experiencing and, and that ultimately at the end of the day, you are who you are. You can't control it. So just go out and live your life and, and, and uh, be who you want to be.
0: Let's go to Ontario. Get a phone call in here before the end of the first half hour. Again, I've got George Springer top of the hour, next hour, golf for Kyle Stanley, Chris Mannix in the third hour. It's a short week. Do not waste your opportunities in Ontario. Steve. Good to have you. Yeah, Steve. What's up? Oh, yeah. How are you?
3: Good. I'm a big fan, man. Um, I'm just calling. I have a theory um, about the free agency. So you would assume that a team would need three superstars to even compete with Golden State, maybe even make the, uh, the conference final. And my theory is that with all these two superstar signings by Houston, OKC, and Boston. Is that they are going to wait till the end of this season when LeBron is going to uh, reportedly opt out of his contract, and whoever does the best out of Houston, OKC, and Boston will try and sign LeBron to have the big three and compete in the finals. That's my theory,
0: bro. You just blew my freaking mind with that. Whoa, ho, ho, ho. Yeah, Steve, I think that's your theory and the theory of about a billion other people in the world. Yeah, there's something to that. I tweeted it myself last night. My tweet said, don't tell me LeBron isn't already thinking about where to take his talents next. And there's a lot of speculation right now as to where he might go. Romers, I have a theory. Whoever loses the most games in the NFL will get the number one pick in the following draft. That's my theory. Thanks, Steven Orlando. Blake and more You probably think that I seed those telephone calls. Like I plant those telephone calls. I don't need to. Because there's always gonna be somebody who will say something like that. Man, I hate to crack on a guy too who starts his call with hey, I'm a big fan, Rome. I really am. But I got a theory. Follow me on this. You can be the biggest fan in the world, man. You could be my you could be my kid. If you come to me with something like that, that's what you're gonna get. We are joined by Kyle Stanley. Seven different guys. Kyle had a share of the lead on Sunday. 10 players were within two shots of the lead late in the day. So, what was going through your mind on the back nine?
1: Yeah, it was, um, it was a pack leaderboard for sure. Uh, I think that's just a testament to the golf course. Um, it was very tough. And, uh, yeah, it was one of those ones where if you were within four or five shots going into Sunday, you knew you were going to have a, um, a pretty good chance
0: kyle stanley my guest you know kyle i mentioned at the very top that it was your first win since 2012 and you went through some tough moments during that stretch but you also came into this tournament with three top tens since the start of april including a really strong showing at the players and the memorial so you've been striking the ball very well did you feel like you were about to break through
1: yeah i mean i felt like my game was trending in the right direction um From a consistency standpoint, this year um, things have been really good. Haven't had uh, too many weak spots in the game. So, um, you know, so many good players on tour. It's tough to it's tough to say you can predict the win. But I uh, I certainly felt pretty good about where my game was. Um, And then going into this week, I'd I'd never played the golf course before. Uh, We played Congressional last year, and now they're rotating courses for this event. and fell in love with the golf course. I liked it a lot. It suited my game pretty well. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't say I, I predicted a win, but certainly liked uh, where my game was heading into the week.
0: All right, so certainly you like your chances, especially on Sunday, but then you start Sunday with a bogey on the first hole, but then you bring <laughs> 5, 6, and 8. So, Kyle, at what point do you start thinking, I've got a chance to win this thing, or when you're out there, do you do your very best to just keep those thoughts out of your head as much as you can?
1: Yeah, you do. You know, it's it's, it's hard to. Um, so many leaderboards out there. I think the bogey on the first hole probably wasn't a bad thing in a way. It probably settled me down a little bit to uh, just say, all right, just stick to your game plan and try to play simple golf, fairways and greens. It's a lot easier said than done, but on a golf course like that, it's uh, it's kind of what you had to do. And we birdied eight. Um, we birdied eight, and I think I, I looked at the board after that birdie on eight and saw that we were um, – right off the lead, and then birdie 10, and thought we were tied for the lead. So um, after that, I just tried to kind of keep the ball in front of me, keep playing good golf. Um, I knew I still had a couple birdie holes ahead of me with, um, with the drivable 14th. And, uh, yeah, just tried to stay patient. It's, it's, it's a little easier said than, said than done, but uh, I thought we handled ourselves pretty well coming down the stretch.
0: So I can't let you go, though, without asking about somebody else. And that's your dog, Dora. Who is the star of the instagram feed how long have you had her and what makes her so unique
1: you know sorry about that you probably heard her barking when we just got on someone rang our doorbell but
0: now i'm a big animal guy i like it
1: oh yeah yeah um so she dolly my wife dolly um, she had her i can i came into the picture when she was three and um yeah she's You know, I had a dog growing up, but it was a it was a shit too, kind of a little dog. It was more of my mom's, Um, but yeah, she's she's incredible. We started traveling with her um, full time, gosh, probably about a year and a half ago. So she comes to all the events with us. Uh, We don't have any, my wife and we don't have any kids, but she's kind of like a kind of like a kid to us, and um, it's kind of she's she's there with us all the time. So it's nice for me to have her out on the road and. Um, you know, it's kind of our little traveling family. So we have a lot of fun with
0: it. see the thing is the road is not for everybody. Does she travel pretty well?
1: No, she does. I don't think we'll ever have another dog like her. Her personality, she's so, she's so relaxed and chill. And when we first start traveling with her, a little nerve wracking, um, you know, taking her on the airports or taking her through airports and on planes. But at this point, she just, she gets the program really well. So it's super easy. Um, she hangs out in the hotel room during the day, but for the most part, she um, she loves coming out with us, so uh, super easy. Definitely not as hard as it probably
0: sounds. At least you didn't slam 72 hot dogs in 10 minutes. You didn't dunk them in water and then choke them down your gullet. And as disgusting as it is to imagine ingesting 10 times your daily caloric intake, on encased mystery meat and buns. As disgusting as it is to watch a dude slam more hot dogs in 10 minutes than you've had in the last 10 years of your life. Probably your entire life. How many of you listening right now can honestly say you've eaten 75 hot dogs in your life? Any of you? Keith Arnold has. Can I tell you something? I'm careful about, I'm body as temple, you know me. I know how many hot dogs I've eaten in my life because I've counted since the first because I know that they're a mystery meat an encased mystery meat you know how many hot dogs I've had in my life? I kid you not I'm a middle aged dude 36 my biggest year was when I was 12 and I had 9 that year fact yet these dudes have slammed more in 10 minutes than I have in my entire life it's a fact I know exactly how many hot dogs I've had so imagine ingesting 10 times your daily caloric intake on encased mystery meat and buns, but even sicker to watch that feeding feast on TV. It's one thing to do it. Quite another to watch other people do it. Grown men doing everything they can to make you go projectile yourself as they mainline some Nathans for 10 minutes on TV before making that run to the head. Now look, I understand. I'm not here to rain on your parade, man. It's 4th of July. It's a great time. I get that it's an annual tradition. I get that it's been going on since like 1916, allegedly, when four immigrants held a hot dog eating contest to settle an argument about who was the most patriotic. But if I never see another highlight of Joe Chestnut eating, I'm going to be just fine. If I never have to see that dude or any other dude covered in sweat and hot dog water... Eyes closed, gagging down seven cased carney meats per minute. I'm still going to be pretty happy with my life. In fact, I'll be happier with my life. And that's still pretty amazing to me in and of itself, that we throw an HD camera and super slow-mo at a guy doing something that should only be done in the dark of night and in the days of a blackout bender is beyond me. Trust me, I've had my own kind of chestnut bender after some pretty ruthless nights with the magic blue. On my worst night ever, two dogs in the middle of the night. There's two for me. And I, I didn't douse them or the buns with water, although I probably should have. Look, I'm a huge food guy. I love food. And I'm not going to say to you that I'm the cleanest eater ever. Far from it. I try to do the best I can to eat as clean as I can during the week so I can eat whatever the hell I want on the weekend. You know, I'm one of those guys who's just not, I'm not self-aware. Not the way Gary V wants me to be. I'm just not honest with myself. You know, because if you talk to guys that are really about a clean lifestyle, if you talk to trainers, if you talk about people who do it the right way, they will tell you, you can't have a cheat day. What, you want a cheat weekend? Four good days? Three days off? You can't have a cheat weekend. You can't have a cheat day. You can have a cheat meal. The best of the best will tell you, you can have a cheat snack. In fact, don't cheat at all if you want the results that you want. So I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm that guy. I kind of approach it this way. I do the best I can during the week so I can do whatever the hell I want on the weekend. And far be it for me to get in the way of a dude earning a living. I never want to do that. But choking down 20,000 calories in 10 minutes is inane. 1,300 grams of fat via a hot dog (laughs) I mean, how does that not kill you on impact? How are most of these guys not dead? And one of these days, somebody is going to internally combust on screen during the contest. And isn't that why they put the cameras on these guys anyway for that moment? I mean, frankly, isn't it like NASCAR? How many people are there for the wreck? How many people are showing up for the contest to see somebody internally combust? And all that for what? 10K? 10 grand Prize money and a yellow mustard trophy belt. Chestnut's incredible. He said he gained 23 pounds in those 10 minutes. 15 from the dogs, 8 from the water. But how much damage has he done to the average guy who tries to flip on the TV and catch a game and all of a sudden runs inadvertently into that slaughterhouse? Competitive eating, then, is not a sport. It's people, people at a trough. So while he'll probably throw some lipid at it and lay off the tube meat for a few months until his next big race, I already felt bad enough after pounding brats off the grill this weekend. Now I'm not sure I can ever look at a hot dog ever again, especially since I'm already five over what I thought that I would eat for my entire life and I've got like 30 years left on this planet. Honestly, as an example, this guy knocked down 20,160 calories. When a daily number is like 2000, 1300 grams of fat when fat. 65 grams of fat is your daily note fat. cholesterol, 2160 milligrams. When you usually have like 300 milligrams, sodium number is incredible 56,160 milligrams when you normally have 2,400. However, give this guy, give this guy this. He did crush his protein number. Normal day of protein, fifty grams. My man was able to get down seven hundred and twenty. In other words, hey whey protein, tell me how my ass. Tell takes. me how my ass tastes. Speaking of Viking Dokeal, since he did tweet, why don't I just pick that up right now? It is smack off season, and although I'm totally impartial and I'm totally objective. And I'm not going to preview the candidates per se. I can't talk about them, what they meant to the program or meant to the smack off itself. And you've got Broadway Vic. Broadway Victor in Northern California. Well, allegedly. I'll get to that in a minute. Now, the great thing about Vic is he's not one of the callers who will go into hiding for 11 months out of the year. He will call out of smack off season, but just not necessarily as Vic in no In fact, you never know exactly what you're going to get with this guy. Sometimes... It'll be Jon Snow in Walla Walla.
3: I am Jon Snow. I am Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Our brotherhood has defended the wall. The men of the Night's Watch swore an oath, a vow of celibacy, which means Caleb the Walrus would fit right in.
0: You never know, right? Other times, it's Connor in Vegas.
3: But I tell you one man
0: I do fear, one
3: man I am weary of. That's that Broadway vicar cal I love his swagger. He drops bombs like I do. I don't think that's a man to be trifled with.
0: War. How about that one time we got a call from Bernie in Vermont? War, Leon Trotsky. War,
3: Vladimir Lenin. Oh, and war, the greatest caller in the history of your show. The kind of caller that powder puffed Brad and Corolla. Ah,
0: Senator, you're out of time. Plus, who could ever forget Lafitte in Canada?
3: There is only one thing that could stand in my way of smack of glory. Only one man who can throw a wrench into my plan. That is Monsieur Broadway Victoire in Northern California. Romy, that man is freaking an animal.
0: Or sometimes Vic will just call in as himself so he can take a run at another clone like John and Little Rock with a full karaoke Falco blast.
3: Now I want you to look at yourself in the mirror first and sing this song to yourself, okay? It goes like this. Oh, I'm a douche. I'm a douche. I'm a douche. I'm a douche. I'm a So you
0: never You're know exactly right. how Vic's going to call oh, in, man. but... the role man. he plays best is Jungle Villain. Vic's been calling the program now for more than a decade. And safe to say that he may be the program's most polarizing caller. I mean, there's no in-between with Victor. Either Broadway Victor is your dude or you hate his guts. But the one thing with him, you're guaranteed to be left either laughing or seething. He comes into the jungle locked and loaded pretty much every single time, whether it be with movie references, pop culture blasts, or just straight fire for other clones. He might be the only jungle caller who can hit us with a three-minute take on Johnny Utah and point blank one day and a 30-second kamikaze call to take a run at Caleb or Mike, pretty much anybody, the very next day. So keep an eye out for this guy. Once again, just because he has not won since 2010 does not mean that he can't rip his second this year. I mean, the dude says he's in no-cal. There's been speculation that he actually lives closer to Tijuana. Personally, I don't give a damn where the guy lives. I really don't care. All I know is he owns a mansion... On the cul-de-sac of one-time smack-off winners. And he's looking to put the property up for sale and move up into the elite gated community of multiple title holders. Is this the year? I don't know. But he's got the game, he's got the heart, he's got the hunger, he's got the creativity, and most of all, he's got the experience to make him a serious threat once again. Do not sleep on Broadway victor. As for the rest of the field, if you're not ready for this thing yet, you should be.
2: Jimmy, you'll know be cool. If I snuck into your studio and wrecked Brad on your mic at the end of my call, it'd be so awesome,
0: dude. Smack pew. Off 23, Friday, July 28th, winner take off. Get your weight up,
2: left. and come see about me.
0: Come see about hey, Mike. me.
2: Saying things twice isn't cool. Saying things twice
0: isn't cool. Way back in the mid-90s, we decided to set aside one day of the year when only the best of the best callers get on the Hi, air. what's up, brother? Over up. two decades later, we are still doing this I thing.
2: I'm a from Laguna Beach. I'm going to tap you on one shoulder. <laughs> and I'm going to be over on the
0: other shoulder. Oh, it's man. over. You've been pinned like a Jeep left in neutral. Five grand first prize. Start calling.
3: God, I hate these guys, Rome. I hope they get polio. The
0: minute he hangs up, he's Mr. all. Johnson, I have the reports for you. They were due out. Maybe Jim can hook you up with a
2: gift card from Lane Bryant. hell you're an idiot. You sound like you're hey. close to me after he gets these hands. Yeah, you're right, Mikey. I don't want those hands. I don't know where the hell
0: they've been. I've got a stack of golden stack tickets. To go. Gotta play your way, this way in. The golden ticket. Cover your ears, haters. Get a
2: wise, you loser. Friday, you're entering a world of pain. Smack, smack, smack. If you rack me, I'd rack me so hard. And I want you all the hell off my lawn. And for all you other hoes that think you got a shot at the throne, I only got five words for you. Put more effort in,
0: loser. This is the jungle national holiday. We wait all year for it. Smack off 23, Friday, July 28th. Are you ready? Time to go. At Hitman Canadian tweets, don't sleep on Vic and NoCal. Great advice. Much appreciated. Signed, women. Wait, what? Thank you for listening. I appreciate it very much. Trust the podcast. Then check back tomorrow for more Daily Jungle. little B word.
3: How to show up with Coca-Cola energy.